0: Welcome back to the CBJ Show, Episode 57. And it's gonna be a great one. We're talking NBA Red Sox, and we got a new segment at the end. We'll keep it a surprise till we get there. As always, I'm Brandon, joined by Jason, and today another guest is joining us. We're just keep on rolling with this. I mean, it's a little bit of a downgrade from who we who we just talked to, Jason, but He's from the Boston area. He knows what his time that's AJ Gonzalez, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thanks, B-Pop. I know you guys had Mike Reese on last time, right? That's been the talk of the town for me. And Mike Reese, <laughs> a big, one, big one for you. Yeah, bro.
0: you had some uh, big shoes to fill.
1: Yep. I'll try my best. Jason's a great guy from what I see, so I can't wait to be on with you guys.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right, let's jump in. NBA talk. So I'll just preface, preface this by saying, the NBA season is starting um, August 24th, tomorrow, when we're filming this. By the time this is released, some of the opening games will have happened. So this is more long-term NBA preview. With Without further ado, Jason, kick us off.
2: We're going to start here with uh, the Boston Celtics. They've made several moves this offseason. I think the biggest one that broke many Celtics fans' hearts was training away Marcus Smart in a 3 uh, three-team deal, Um, sending him to the Memphis Grizzlies. It was really hard for me when I first saw this trade to, you know, see the guy that I've supported for nine years on one franchise drafted in the top six um, in 2014. But, you know, it was kind of time to move on because it's time for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to take the reins. They can't really have Marcus Smart being the leader of the team if he's nowhere near being the best player. So, It's mixed feelings, and the Celtics did get the better end of the trade. But, you know, we're going to miss Marcus Smart around here because of uh, the intensity he brought on defense uh, and just the leadership, of course, that I mentioned before. And I'm excited to see what he can do in Memphis because he fits their defensive system very well, and I'm expecting someone like Derek White to probably take on that Marcus Smart role. Uh, Not necessarily a vocal leader, but I think as a defensive guard, uh, that's the type of player that he is.
1: Uh, that's well said. I, I I mean, the Celtics. The outlook for me is, can Jason Tatum lead the team now? Right. We see all this talk about Jason Tatum, the Mamba mentality, and all this other stuff. This this I don't know if it's nonsense, but it's time for Jason Tatum to be the leader of the Boston Celtics. You know, when we when we think of big stars and and at least Celtics lore, they carried the team, right? When you think of I don't know Kevin Garnett, right? Kevin Garnett not only was a a, a beast on the floor, he was the leader of the team, right? Jason Tatum, I mean it's time for him to start up, to start and be the leader. I think in my opinion, they might be the favorites to win the NBA title. I think they're right in the the Denver Nuggets conversation with Jokic and all that. All those teams out in the West, maybe the Suns get in with Beal now and that's an upgrade, but as far as I'm concerned with the upgrade of Chris Kristaps Porzingis, I think they're going to be right right in any conversation for NBA finals and winning a championship.
0: Perfect segue AJ. I was just going to get to our next point which is after losing Uh, Marcus Smart, the Celtics brought in Chris Porzingis, and personally, I think this is a good trade. I know Porzingis has had injuries in the past, but new year, new season, new team, I'm wondering if this is the missing piece that the Celtics have been looking for over the past few years. I personally was not sad to see Marcus Smart go. His defensive skills were amazing. His offensive ability was a
1: little shaky yeah i agree i agree with you sorry to jump in here jason um i just agree i mean marcus smart no doubt about it he was a vocal leader of the celtics ever since he got drafted they found they found the diamond there with marcus smart in the draft uh he was a great player here in boston we, we i think most people respected his game defensive side is probably the best defense the, the one of the best defenders in all basketball i mean the dpoy and what 2021 20, right 21 uh yeah, so I oh, mean easy. Marcus, Smart, yeah, Marcus Smart was a, a great player for the Boston Celtics, but they needed to the change the scenery. They needed a change, or not a scenery, but a change in the roster, a change in the dynamic. Bringing in Kristaps Porzingis is definitely going to be a, an interesting fit, to say the least. I think he can be the guy that the Celtics are looking for. They they needed another big guy. I think. I mean Robert Williams, say what you want, he gets hurt a lot. Robert Williams does get hurt a lot. Al Horford, age is starting to go up. Not going down anytime soon. So I think that Chris Depp's Przingis will ultimately help the Celtics. But again, there's one issue with him. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay healthy. There's already some things about not him him not being able to play in FIBA or the FIBA World Cup. I think the Celtics just pulled him out, saying they gave him a new contract extension as well, saying that if you're going to play for us, we need your 100% commitment. You can't be hurt. And I think that's what that was. So, yeah, I think the Celtics are looking good with Porzingis.
2: I completely agree. And you also bring up the extension. I don't know how they were able to do this, but they pretty much lowballed him. Like it was like two years, 72 million for a guy of his talent. Uh, that's incredible. And I think what he brings to the Celtics is a different level of spacing that we haven't seen in a while, because he's someone who can clog the paint on offense and also um, uh, shoot the three ball. And if they end up rolling with a front court of Al Horford and Chris Aspor you can run a five out and have everyone shooting in, in space uh, rather than, I'm not saying Robert Williams was a liability on offense because um he was a great paint threat, but I do think that this allows the Celtics to do more five-wide spacings, uh, which is something we've never, ever seen them do um, because the game has never had a non traditional center like Chris S. Porzingis uh, on this team. So I think Joe Mazzula is going to experiment a lot on offense. And I think on defense, people are talking about Marcus Smart being a huge loss, and I agree, but while they do have the guards to make up for what he does, I think Chris Esporzingis is still a very competent defender, uh, very good shot blocker, uh, and is able to um, you know, make the right moves on defense. And I think um, with him in the paint, seven foot three stature, that's something that the Celtics have not had either. Uh, Robert Williams is a bit of a shorter but also athletic big man, standing about six eight six nine. Now Horford, he has his athletic limitations as well. Um, at an older age, at about six foot nine still, and I think Chris Esporzingis, you get a guy in the prime of his career. Um, who's a, who's a phenomenal defender and an even better offensive player. So I think he adds a different element that the Celtics have never used, and they're going to experiment a ton of things with him.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, uh, Jason. I, I also think that in that trade for Porzingis Marcus Smart trade, the Celtics got draft picks back, which they then flipped for more draft picks. I, I want to see if they're going to do something bigger. I know there's been talk, a little bits of talk, Floating around that they might want another star, maybe in the f- distant future. If Perzingis doesn't stay healthy, it could be something that works out with the, with some draft picks coming in. So that that's something to keep your eyes on as well. As well, and I think Brad Stevens is quickly becoming maybe the best GM or or leader of the franchise, in my opinion, in all in all of Boston. So it, it's good for Stevens. He's a, he's done great work as the GM. Been a natural transition going from him to coach to the GM. It's been perfect.
0: One more thing I want to talk about on the Celtics before we move on is. Jalen Brown contract. We talked about how before. I think AJ, you brought this up. It was Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Now it's just Tatum and Brown. Having this, I'm wondering, uh, either of you guys, if you feel like Jalen will take these new this new contract with more confidence going into the season, playing a little bit better.
2: I absolutely think so. He's going to have to play with more confidence. Uh, he's been clowned all off season for not being able to switch off his left and. Uh, with that being said, getting this contract is a big responsibility coming with it. Um, it's obviously, like we said, the richest contract in NBA history, and he has the third highest average annual value in the NBA behind Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard. So that's a bit, those are big names up there. And uh Jalen Brown, the first player to crack a $300 million deal. Um, he's gonna have to show that he can switch off his left and silence those critics, but also uh take that leadership role. I know uh AJ mentioned uh he's gotta take, I know he said that about Tatum, but Tatum sort of correlating to Kevin Garnett, but I think Jalen Brown brings a bit of Kevin Garnett energy too, uh, especially um, someone who can guard the perimeter um, and, you know, make a play. He's not he's not really going to be the Paul Pierce, a bit of a quiet leader, but I think Jalen Brown um, is very vocal, um, both on and off the court as a great locker room guy. And I think Jalen Brown, um, they there should be some like incentives in his contract to be a better leader and step up because that was Marcus Smart's role um, for over five years or so. And I think Jalen Brown, it's his time to be the vocal leader of this team.
1: I, I agree, Jason, that 1,000%. I think this is something the Celtics had to do, really. I mean, the, the, the other option is not paying Jalen Brown and then, you know, playing that game with him, which I don't I don't think that's a game you want to play. I mean, I think he's had some issues here in Boston, like or in, in Massachusetts in general, with some uh, outside stuff off, off the court in general. But I think Jalen Brown, if he's on the court and he's focused, And he's all he's a team. uh, He bleeds green. He's a he's a green teamer and he's ready to play good Celtics basketball. I I don't see why not. I don't see how you how there's any other better option than not paying Jalen Brown. You could have had Kevin Durant. I mean, but I think Jalen Brown, you've got to play the long game with him because that, that was your one of your big two with Tatum and Brown. And obviously leadership, it's time for him to step up as well with, along with Tatum. That, that's been the flaw really with the Celtics is just not stepping up in those big moments. But again, they're still young. They still have time to grow. And it's time now. And I think the time is now for the Celtics to win a championship.
0: In the East, it seems like it is for the Celtics to win the conference. Obviously, we know Milwaukee still has the honest. Let's talk about Philadelphia real quick. How uh, Nick... Uh, James Harden situation has been a lot about the talks. They brought in Nick Nurse to replace Doc Rivers. What's going on in Philly land?
2: I think there's a big issue here with James Harden. Um, I'm not going to say this is fully his fault because the Sixers sort of tricked him into opting into this player option um, when he could have hit unrestricted free agency and got himself a bag somewhere else. Uh, and now he's probably lowered his value because of all of the distractions he's created in the media. Uh, and the promise that Daryl Morey made was that uh, he would trade uh, James Harden if he opted into that player option, which he did. Uh, and uh, he's keep James Harden keeps reiterating that he does not want to play for the Sixers, yet Um, they still won't trade him. Uh, and now they said they would offer to play him this season uh, if he wanted to under that player option. And he said, no, Daryl Morey's a liar. He didn't trade me. He's I will never play for him again. And I think he has every right to say that because he was promised and has not gotten that promise. And now the 76ers... Feel no need to trade him because he wants out, and I'm sure that um, yeah, I'm sure that Daryl Morey does not really care about this, and he would like James Harden to stay, and it's just a complete mess of a situation. And I think if this gets even worse, I think someone like Joel Embiid could want out if there's so much drama in this on this team. Um, there's a lot of rumors that um, he wants to go to the New York Knicks. Uh, if nothing happens really this season with them, I know he just signed a super max a few years ago, um, with with the team but I do think that this James Harden situation's um doing a little bit more than something like the Ben Simmons situation does that could blow up an entire team because after Ben Simmons after that situation the Sixers were able to get value back and get James Harden and keep Joel Embiid around. In this case I think their entire franchise is on the line and they could be facing like a huge rebuild here and we have to start this process all over again.
1: That's the number one concern, in my opinion. I mean, James Harden, I mean, it's a dumpster fire for that guy. I, I mean, anywhere he goes, it's just like the whole organization just comes down as well. Like just a big ton of bricks just coming down. Boom. I mean, going from Ben Simmons to, to James Harden was bad enough. But the big concern for the Sixers is Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid is not playing there, they're going right back into the lottery. That's it. They're they're They are not going to be that great. Joel Embiid, I, I'm watching Joel Embiid very closely. Watch out. He could request a trade at any time. That's how this, the league works, right? Guys request trades when things don't go go their way, essentially. And Joel Embiid, you've got to be sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I'm watching Steph Curry win championships. And, man, Nikola Jokic, the other big man, the guy who I'm in MVP conversation with, is winning championships. When's it going to be my turn? When, when am I going to have a team like Jason Tatum has or a team that, that Nikola Jokic has? When's that going to happen? and maybe he's mad at Daryl Morey a little bit and maybe he's mad about the whole process the 76ers thing it's now starting to blow up in their face uh, you got to start thinking if Joel Embiid asks out look out all hell will break loose like they like to say
0: let's switch gears to the western conference we don't have time to dive into every team but just each of you what is one team you're looking at and you're thinking this could be a team that can make a either a deep run for the playoffs, or will it be just fun to watch. AJ, let's start a you. Uh,
1: Phoenix Suns. I'm watching the Phoenix Suns closely. Uh, can they play defense? That's going to be the question. They they're going to have a, a fun offense to say the least. Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. Come on, that's that's that is awesome. That's going to be great TV to watch. But the thing is, is can they get on the other side of the court and play defense? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. Lots of good teams in the West. It's going to be a fun arms race, to say the least. I, I think the Suns are well within it. They're going to go over the luxury tax by a lot. I mean, by a country ton. So it's, this is their year, really, for me. And everyone's getting older as well. It's how it works in the NBA. So uh, Kevin Durant is second year in Phoenix. I think it was his first full, right? First full year in Phoenix.
2: I think this is the time for the Phoenix Suns to win a championship, if they are going to. One you I'm looking at, I'm not putting any expectations on this team because I don't know if they're even going to make it past the play in tournament, but a team that made a lot of moves this off season, being the Houston Rockets. I'm really interested to see what, uh, what their team looks like this year. They made a ton of acquisitions. They got Dylan Brooks, Fred VanVleet. Uh, they brought it into the draft, I'm in Thompson and Cam Whitmore. This team is deep. Like when, when people don't like to say it, but the Houston Rockets have a very deep team and uh, we look at their starting lineup built around Jalen Green. You have Van Vliet. You have Alperen Sangoon, who is a very underrated center, in my opinion, and, and could be a potential all-star type of player this year. Um, and you have um Jabari Smith. They took third overall last year. Uh, they have uh, a ton of guys off the bench, like Tari Eason. I like this Rockets team. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying they're going to make it past the play-in tournament at all. But I do think 40 wins, something like that, um, is going to be – Uh, a target uh, record for them this year. I think they are very capable of putting together a competent season. And uh, with the amount of money they spent this offseason, not to mention Ime Udoka coaching the team, I can see the Houston Rockets potentially sneaking into the playoffs and maybe forcing a a seven-game series in the first round. The team I'm looking at, we're going to head out to
0: L.A. It's the L.A. Lakers just to see what can LeBron and AD do. So much of the past couple of years, it's been injuries for both of them. There's only so much time left for both of them. We obviously, we've heard the rumors, LeBron wants to play with his son back in Cleveland. If that's true or not, these are his almost final years. Is this the year that LA has what it takes to reach a championship? Or is LeBron's really only chance uh, if he plays with Bronny?
1: Yeah, that that's fair. I, I love I love the Lakers for sure. I think they're right within the conversation, right with the Suns, right with all those teams. I think a team that was fun for me to watch was Sacramento. Sacramento was so fun to watch in that Golden State series. That was must watch TV. And I never thought I'd be saying that about the Sacramento Kings. But let me tell you, when I could stay up and watch those games here on the East Coast, watch those West Coast games. Those games were fun. I mean, they they almost beat Golden State. It was it was that close. It was it came down to a game seven where Steph Curry had an unbelievable game, 50-50 points. Uh, it, it's Sacramento, I mean, if they can just put the pieces together, they've got De'Aaron Fox, who I, I think is extremely underrated given the circumstances that he plays in Sacramento. I think that the Sacramento Kings are going to be good once again this year.
2: I also have high hopes for the Sacramento Kings this year. I mean, the first time, the last time they made the playoffs before this year was the year I was born, and now you look at them right now. Um, they're doing uh, incredible with um, this uh, new culture shift in with Mike Brown, a head coach, and De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis um, form a fantastic duo. I think Sabonis is adding a ton of layers to his game uh, as he uh, was dealt on the Tyrese Halliburton deal uh, in 2022. I really like what the Sacramento Kings team is doing. I think Keegan Murray is a very solid three-point shooter and also is great with the ball in his hands. I like to see him be more of a ball handler and sort of um, conduct this offense a bit more at the small forward or power forward position because that's kind of what he did at the University of Iowa. And I expect that out of him uh, next year to take that jump. And he was a great shooter this year. And people really doubted the pick of taking him over and Ivey. And he proved a lot of people wrong. When you look at the rest of the depth, you have Harrison Barnes and a ton of other, ton of other great pieces there. And I think the Sacramento Kings are a team that could be pushing 50 wins next year uh, and could potentially be hosting another playoff series.
0: I love Sabonis. I can't wait to watch more Sacramento Kings. Before we move on to MLB, talking Red Sox, AJ, Jason, you got any last words?
1: I, I would just say one thing. I mean, we always I mean, just we were talking about the East earlier. Sorry to jump ship a little bit. Always look out for the Miami Heat. Always, always, always. If they swing a trade for Damian Lillard at the trade deadline or anything like that, I think they catapult the Celtics. They go up and they're the favorites, in my opinion. Just, I just say, it, watch out for Pat Riley. Watch out for the Miami Heat. Just when you think they're done, they always find a way to fight back in it. And they have Jimmy Baller, who that just, oh, as a Celtics fan, you just can't stand them, right? I mean, just, just, he's got the, he's, he's the guy with the mob mentality for sure.
0: All right. Talking MLB. We're going to stay focused on the Boston team, and that's with the Red Sox. What we have seen, I'm going to go off for a little minute, um, and then I'll hear from, you'll hear from AJ and Jason. But what I've seen with, from beginning in 2020 when the Red Sox brought in Bloom, John Henry and the uh, ownership brought in Bloom, everyone had thought this was going to be a positive. They had won the World Series in 2018. 2019's a wash. Pandemic hits. Okay, now it's time for rebuild. Well, it's been too many years of rebuilding. 2021 was a bust. Well, they made the wild card playoffs, beat the Yankees, but still think it was a bust. 2022 was a bust. 2023, up and down. So rocky this whole season. They play with you, but realistically, they're not going to make the playoffs. So... This offseason is really important for Heim Bloom and the Red Sox where this season they rank last in errors and something else uh uh I can't remember at this moment but the feeling is bad hitting is bad and the biggest thing that annoys me is that Heim Bloom and Alex Cora are putting these uh CD value guys in places that they shouldn't be we're putting Rafael Devers at DH. We had Alex Verdugo whole issue, and he can't play. We're throwing Duvall, Adam Duvall into center field when he should be in the wings. It's a mess. Kiki Hernandez should have been in outfield. He uh, Trevor Story gets hurt. Kiki's got to play the infield. Then he's gone at the trade deadline. It's just abysmal what we see watching these Red Sox day in, day out. They're awful, and Kevin Millar is way too positive on the Red Sox.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with the whole Red Sox thing. I mean, listen. Th- I mean, the, the Heimblum Bloom regime, I I actually have a question for you guys later. I'll I'll get to that. This offseason, they're going to have they're going to have money. They're middle of the pack now at payroll. I mean, this Red Sox team when I watched them, right? They had a thrilling th- series against the Yankees. I mean, they and the swept them. I mean, they just played absolutely outstanding baseball for for a weekend. I mean, the first two games weren't even close. That We can get to the Yankees probably another day, but, I mean, they're an absolute joke. They're a dumpster fire. Brian Cashman should be gone. Aaron Boone should be gone. But that's besides the point. I, I, don't, I don't like to talk about last place teams. Um, then they come back. They play Houston, right? And if you guys have looked at the schedule, it is a gauntlet coming up. So they play Houston. Then they play the L.A. Dodgers. Then they play Houston again. What's going to happen in that stretch? Like, really, what's going to happen? They've already lost two to the Astros, and last night they lost because Jordan Alvarez wasn't in the lineup. Jordan wasn't in the lineup, and they lost. Chris Sale tonight, he's on the mound. I know that, that again, this this episode may be dropped whenever, but Chris Sale's on the mound tonight. This is a game they should win. They should win this game tonight, and it's frustrating. But I'll propose you guys a question here just about the Red Sox in the offseason. Do they have a shot at Shoyotani? Do they have a shot? Because, listen, money is now – they can have it. They can ha- they have money to spend. They can go get a Shohei Otani. He, would he come here? I don't know. They, I mean, Masataki Ishida has been impressive. That's one of the Heimbloom pickups I actually like. But, I mean, do, do they have a shot at Shohei Otani? That, that, if you get Shohei Otani, that makes you one of the fa- the favorites in MLB. That would make you a World Series favorite. As I sit here today, I can't positively say that. So my question is, do they have a shot at Shohei, or what? Are, what's going to happen from there?
2: I think what we've mentioned before, the Red Sox have put themselves in a position. They've been playing good baseball this year, even though the advanced stats don't go in their favor. And I think Boston is a marketable place for someone like Shohei Otani. Um, like we mentioned, Masataka Yoshida uh, might help with a little bit of recruiting there. Uh, And I think they've set the stage. They have players that people want to play with. I mean, who wouldn't want to play with Rafael Devers, who's one of the best young up and coming third basemen in the game? Who wouldn't want to play with uh Tristan Casas, an outstanding rookie um who's been who had an incredible month of July, home run after home run after home run. I mean, I know these aren't phenomenal players, but th- this is a competent team, whether people like to say it or not. They're obviously a fourth place team in the hardest division in base, hardest con- hardest, yeah, hardest division in baseball. And um, I, I think that Shohei Otani, I'm not gonna say that I would say he's the favorite to come here. I think there are a ton of teams that have a bit more of a market um for someone like Shohei Otani, but you know, like we like we said, uh, they have a lot of salary cap this offseason. The Red Sox they are middle of the pack. As you said, so I think there's a chance that they're going to either go in, go all in for Shoya Otani. But if not, I think they have a ton of room to bring in some quality role players that um, can start right away and replace some of um replace some of the weak stars that they have right now. And I expect um, whether Ty and Bloom, if he's even gone after this year, I think they're going to make a ton of deals. Um, with some of the fan favorites, whether people like that or not. But I think uh, there's there's going to be a lot of action in the offseason. I think this Red Sox team will look very, very different.
1: One before, Pop, before you jump in, one guy that has stood out to me when I watched the Red Sox is Brian Bellow. They, they've they got an ace there with Brian Bellow. I think he's going to be very, very good. He's got good stuff, good command. And most of the time when he's on the mound, they win. They win those games when Brian Bellow's is on the mound. I think that's a solid big league pitcher that they're going to have for a long time.
0: So to address the Otani question, I had brought this up, I think, many times. I think, AJ, when we were at Syracuse or not, but my point was L.A. was a uh, I felt like they made a mistake not getting rid of Shohei at the trade deadline because he's going to become a free agent and a team like if it's Boston, New York, um, I think other teams that have cap space will go out and get Otani and the Angels who have fallen apart at the end of the season. Are just going to lose their best player. Obviously, replacing Shohei Ohtani is impossible. But to answer your question about the Red Sox, should they go after him? Of course. I mean, he's an awesome player. He can pitch, he can hit, he's a dual player. So why wouldn't you? But realistically, of what I've seen over the past couple of years, until Heim Bloom is out or until John Henry in the ownership gives Heim Bloom the green light to go ahead and do big spending. I just don't see it happening. So, I agree.
1: I, I agree with you 1,000%. When is, when is ownership going to get sick and tired of the nickeling and diming everywhere on the roster and trying to get a, a big money player? That's my question.
0: I think a bigger question could be Is Alex Cora gone after the season? I personally don't think so. But if we obviously know that Heim Bloom's doing what ownership's saying, Heim Bloom is probably going to stay. Realistically, it looks like Alex Cora could be on the hot seat.
1: I think ownership's happy. Sorry to interrupt you guys here, but I think ownership's happy with what Bloom's done. He's done everything that he said was going to do. He was going to improve your farm system. He was going to cut your payroll in half. He's he's doing everything that, that they literally told him to do. And the main reasons why Dave Dombrowski is not your GM and he's in Philly and he's winning. He's doing great, Phil. He's spending like he's spending like a fiend. He's spending crazy m- amounts of money on players. I mean, but look,
2: th- that's what it is. I don't know what the Red Sox, I don't know what to say. Unless ownership changes, nothing else is going to change. I wanted to come back to the Alice Cora topic here. Um, like you guys have said, there's a potential that he's on the hot seat. But uh, I think in all honesty, he's probably here to stay for at least one more year. Unless they have a terrible start to next year. Like they might just fire him midseason. But uh, I, I think he's a player's coach, obviously. He's um, got a ton of chemistry with these guys, and um, he's got the respect as a former World Series champion, as an manager. So I think that the Red Sox are probably going to keep someone like um, Alice Cora at the G- at, at manager, but uh, I will say ownership, um, where that's John Henry, I, I do think that there is some there is some decisions that need to be made. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to need to get rid of Haim or Cora, but um, to be more aggressive at trade deadlines, be more aggressive in the offseason, like we said, Haim Bloom has done everything that he's been instructed to. But I think you sort of have to take that leash off of him and just let, let him do what he to let, let him do what he wants, because um, they are set in position to make some big moves. And I think that this offseason is huge um, with all this money. Like I said, Shoyo Otani, big, long stretch. Should they go after him? Absolutely. But there are a ton of other players that can start right away for the Red Sox. Um and they also have um a pretty average uh farm system. They least drafted the catcher who I really like, and I think that they're in a great spot. All right.
0: We could talk about Red Sox all day long, but with how bad they're playing, I think it's probably but for the best to to move on. And if you've made it this far, you've made you've made it to the new segment that we're gonna call this or that. How it's gonna work is a couple um One of us will bring a question to the table. You pick either this or that, obviously, and uh, just kind of hear your thoughts. So we'll start with my question, which is what I've been hearing on Boston Sports Radio. Mac Jones and Bill Belichick have been getting into it. If for some reason we get to a point where it's either Mac gets bent, she gets injured, you need a replacement. Question for you guys is, are you Bailey Zappi? Or Trey
1: Lance fan, I've never really thought about it. I, I think I think they the ceilings much higher for Lance, right? I mean, you look at a guy that was a former third overall pick in a draft, I, I think you have to go with the Trey Lance here. I, I think I mean, he looked I've watched these preseason games. Oh boy, has he looked terrible! He's actually looked worse than the Yankees have. It's been that bad for Trey Lance. I mean, there was the I think it was a Raider game, in the first one. Oh boy, he was. He was horrible. I mean, it, it was just ugly. And I, you know, the 49ers now are exploring trades after Darnold beat him out. I I would definitely, I think, I I don't know. I really don't. I, I'll, You know what? I'll go Trey Lance just because the ceiling's
2: higher, I think. Yeah, you, you explain exactly what I was thinking. Ceiling versus floor is the big thing I'm looking at here. And with Trey Lance, the floor is probably lower than you have it with Bailey Zappi. You know what you're getting with Bailey Zappi. You know you're getting a competent player, not really starter quality but you know he he's in there he's very calm in the pocket makes good reads good decisions accurate uh doesn't have a crazy deep ball but you know what he's okay he's going to get the job done he can win you some football games but with Trey Lance the ceiling that he has um with his arm talent and also his rushing upside I think is very valuable to a team and I'm not sure Bill Belichick's going to like uh Trey Lance's style of play um because um he doesn't really have like a proper I guess technique of throwing the football. It's a really weird sidearm that I still can't even explain what it is. It's really hard to watch sometimes, but I will say when the talent is there and when he's at his best, he is a very good quarterback. And I think his peak is a lot higher than someone like Bailey's happy. So I'm going to say Trey Lance, I'll take the gamble. If they have to go up a third round pick, I would do it for Trey Lance. I think his value has plummeted obviously from where he was drafted and no team would ever trade a first round pick for him. But if it's a late day two pick, early day three pick, I think I would try to take my chances on Trey Lance. Um, but that's not to say that I wouldn't be happy with Bailey Zappi if that would be the case if Mac Jones were to go down.
1: Quick, Quickly here, I agree with that. I mean, that that trade, that Trey Lance trade, might, is going to go down as, oh, boy. If you've seen the return that the Dolphins have already gotten from that trade, Tyree Hill, Jalen Waddle, it's like the whole team, essentially. So, yeah, just real quick, sorry. No, perfect point to
0: add that they – The Dolphins had traded that pick to the Niners, but it was a little surprising, in my opinion, to see that they invested so much, gained the third overall pick, how much they had to give up to Miami to get those picks and to get Trey Lance, basically, and then say a year later, we're good with Brock Purdy, that this Brock Purdy guy seems pretty good. So I agree with both of you. I definitely think the ceiling is higher on Trey Lance, but... I think for right now, you have Bailey Zappi, and Bill knows him. He's seen him play. I think Bill would probably be more comfortable with having Bailey Zappi um, as his
2: QB if need be. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Bailey Zappi is competent and you know, I'm a big fan of him. I think he gets the job done, like I said before. And honestly, in the Patriots system, that's enough. You just have to just kind of sit in the pocket, look, look through your reads real quick, and Bailey Zappi's got solid zip on his ball not an amazing deep ball thrower but he's got a solid release of the football he knows where his guys are and he does not make any um, big turnover worthy plays in my opinion I think he's very safe uh and will make the right decision when asked to and I think he, he has that check mentality that you really want he's a guy that goes in does his job um tries to help out his team he's a very solid player and I'm not gonna say that um The floor is high. I will will say the floor is higher with Bailey Zappi than Trey Lance, as I explained before, because you know what you're getting out of Bailey Zappi. And I think if that's the case, I'd be fine because the Patriots know what they're getting out of Bailey Zappi and they're getting a quality quarterback who can make uh, the right reads and get the job done.
0: Quickly, I know, Jason, you thought of one. So let's just do a kind of rapid fire.
2: What's your uh, this or that take? All right. My this or that take, if you could start an NFL franchise with a non quarterback and I have two players that I think are undisputedly the two best young players to build a franchise around that don't play quarterback in Justin Jefferson and Micah Parsons, who are you building your team around? I think there's a ton of different different things you can value when it comes to these guys, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Right now,
1: if I had to pick one guy, Micah Parsons is a great choice. I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal choice. Jefferson, Jamar Chase even could be in the conversation as well with Jefferson, but I, I think I'd go Micah Parsons. I think that he's the best defensive player already in football.
0: As you, as we've heard all the time, defense wins championships, so starting with Micah Parsons is great. I love what I see from Justin Jefferson, which is partly why on our last podcast we talked about, um, I talked about the Minnesota Vikings being the number one seed in the NFC. Justin Jefferson is the reason why Minnesota will Continue. So, I would have to stick with uh Justin Jefferson.
1: You want? You guys want me to give you a question? Because I I have one.
0: If you have one, real quick. Sure.
1: I'll go quick. Yeah. NBA players start your franchise with right now. There's a lot of good answers for this one. I go. I go. Giannis. I go. Giannis and the Kumpo all the time. I love Giannis.
0: Giannis Giannis.
1: Who? What's your other option? Oh, oh, to start my franchise with. Yeah. yeah. So give me Giannis or Luca. Who who would you take your
2: franchise with, and why?
0: I'm going Luca. Luca. Okay.
2: I'm also gonna go here with Luca. I just think he has a higher offensive floor, and he's, um, I believe five years younger. Luca's twenty three or twenty four, something like that, and Giannis is twenty eight. And I'm not saying that Giannis doesn't have a lot left in the tank. Uh, and Giannis is a significantly better defender. In fact, Luca's a liability. But I think when you look at Luca, he's a floor general. He knows um when to um. He, he's a very solid decision maker and he's probably the smartest player we've ever seen play basketball. And I'm talking higher IQ than someone like Magic Johnson with the ball in his hands. He knows what he's doing. And I think that um, this Mavericks team would be nowhere where they are without him. He led the league in scoring or was close to it at least this year. Um, if he's putting up 35 point triple doubles, I think that's more valuable than someone like Giannis because at this point, offense is winning championships in basketball, where that's not the case as we just explained in football. That's right.
0: We're running out of time on Zoom because I don't pay for Zoom. So that's going to do it. Episode 57. Thank you, AJ, for coming on. Anytime, guys. Anytime. That will do it. See you next time on the CBJ Show.